Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we got a great show for you here. And a happy hump day out there to everybody. And as is usual, Cousin Shane still on vacation. So had to reach out to a guest. I've actually got guests lined up for the next three episodes. So be on the lookout for those. Going to have some great conversations. But today, it's our buddy Chris Lee of Vandy Sports. He's been on the show a number of times. Going to discuss some Vanderbilt football now that uh, the Commodores have wrapped up spring and their outlook for the upcoming season. So a really great interview with Chris. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But, man, do we got some gold to start with today. If you missed it, ESPN did a big piece on Lane Kiffin and his decision to stay at Ole Miss, turn down the opportunity to leave for Auburn a job that, you know, he's pretty open with years ago. He would have probably taken it. And believe me, as a Tennessee grad, I know all too well about Lane Kiffin's desires to jump to the next job. But really good interview. I, I highly recommend it over there by ESPN. Uh, Com. I, I think it was Alex Scarborough who does a really good job for that. But we'll have a little bit more from Lane here in a second. But I had to open with his trolling comments here featuring the reporter that uh, kicked off the whole thing. John Sokoloff, I think is his name, who announced that uh, Lane Kiffin was leaving for Auburn. And, of course, Lane Kiffin, I mean, called that guy out about four or five times back then. He still, and this is April now, that was back in November, Lane Kiffin has not let this one go. Lane, I know it's been a few months now, but it's kind of come up a couple times, uh, especially I think today again ESPN just talked about you and that the Auburn job and that saga. Just kind of what about it is still maybe lingering on you or your thoughts about that? It's interesting you asked that on the first day I've seen John um, in a long time. Good to see you, John. See, I did say obstacles away in there, so I do find a way to turn everything positive. So I appreciate John for creating all that chaos that he created with his false information, but um, that allowed us to work through it. And like I said in the article, help our collective. So really our fans and our collective should thank John for that. Um, <laughs> the old Miss fans may be tired of all the drama, but as Lane Kiffin wisely puts it, hey, if not for all this drama, he leaves out the part that uh, it landed him a big deal, but what it did is it, al it allowed the NIL coffers to get boosted down there in Oxford to keep players like Quinshaw Junkins, their star running back. We'll get to more of that in a little bit, but a little fun here from Lane. I love when Lane Kevin decides to troll somebody. He does it better than anybody in the country. <laughs> but uh, th that'll be a fun spring game this Saturday in Oxford. But another team that's got a spring game, the South Carolina Gamecocks, Shane Beamer, met with the media here on Tuesday. And I thought this was pretty interesting comments because so many people talk down about these spring games. There's nothing to them. Don't put any weight towards them. But uh, Shane Beamer, you know, I thought this was some good comments from him. You know, there are players that are better practice players than in the game situation. And I realize scrimmages and spring game are sort of practices, but they're more games than anything. Some players step up in these moments, and that is something that Shane Beamer will be on the lookout for. It's what everybody should be on the lookout for this Saturday with all these spring games. Let's kick it over to Shane Beamer. Shane, you talked about how guys can work over the summer and put themselves in better position going into fall camp. Mm -hmm. Is it possible for a guy to make a move during the spring game to put himself in better position going into the summer? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, whether it's a spring game against each other or or a, a scrimmage, to me, some guys uh, just have a knack for elevating and, and making plays when they're under the lights in the stadium. And um, uh, I'm always keeping an eye out and, and watching those watching for those guys. Certainly, you know, when the lights come on and they're playing in front of a crowd, they don't shrink from the uh, from the limelight or the spotlight. They 
they uh, elevate their game even more, and they're just they're gamers, if you will. So certainly, um, you know, I've been around places where a guy just makes a lot of plays in a spring game, and it's like, hold on now, like there's let's make sure we really take a, a, a hard look at this guy as well, and and uh, I'm sure there'll be guys like that on uh, on uh, on Saturday night as well. I mean, I go back to. Last year, uh, Joseph Burns from right here in the Camden area. I mean, Joseph made some plays in the spring game, and and uh, I think he had an interception at the end of the game to to uh, to finish it. And he that was a guy. He didn't play a ton of snaps this um, this past season for us, but he was a guy that showed that night that he can be counted on, depended on, and his role has only continued to you know increase you know for sure as we as we go forward. So I'm sure there'll be other guys like that and eager to uh, eager to see those guys on Saturday night. And backing up uh, what we talked about on the last episode, all this Spencer Rattler buzz, which I did see some people commenting, well, hell, there's been buzz on him every offseason, but I don't know. Not really at Columbia. It was more what they had. You got to remember, I mean, it was was a disaster of a quarterback situation the year before Spencer Rattler got there. I realized there was hype at Oklahoma, but it's not exactly what I'm talking about. There's not been hype like this regarding Spencer Rattler in Columbia, not since uh, he torched Tennessee and Clemson's defenses. But Shane Beamer was asked who's standing out, who's emerging as these leaders. Spencer Rattler, first name he mentioned, to carry on Joyner, who it it sounds like he is officially a running back now. Beamer notes the position change this spring. DQ Smith, the defensive back, and Alex Huntley, the defensive lineman, all get a shout-out here from Shane Beamer. Hi. Um, as you've moved through spring ball, what are who are some individuals that maybe you've been impressed by in terms of the personal growth they've made since last season, um, or even stepping into like a leadership role that you were pleasantly surprised by? Yeah. Um, you know, I'll start with Spencer. I mean, he came in last year at this time. He was new and was still feeling his way through, learning an offense, learning his teammates. I think Spencer's done a lot, been uh, been a lot better from a has done a lot better from a leadership standpoint. Just uh, being a year older and a year more uh, experience in this system. Uh, proud of the carry-on joiner. He's a guy that's essentially gone through a position change this spring, but he got on the offense today. We scored a touchdown in the red zone, and and he was getting on the other guys on offense because he didn't think the offense celebrated as well as they should have and needed to show more energy and excitement about scoring a touchdown, which he's exactly right as well. Um, uh, pleasantly, not necessarily surprised, but uh, really pre- pleased with uh, – DQ Smith, you know, he's a guy that I hear talking all the time on, on defense. And I've told our guys, like the great defenses, you you hear them all the time. They're talking, they're constantly communicating and feel like DQ's done a good job of of being a leader and talking and things like that. So I think, you know, you go through all those guys, Boogie Huntley, um, you know, we got some guys out on the defensive line. Book Tonka's not practicing right now. And Boogie's kind of the old man of that D tackle group. I think he's done a really good job. So it's going to be critical. Uh, that we continue to develop leadership on this team because we're a young team. I mean, we got a lot of guys back, but if you look around, I mean, there's a bunch of freshmen and sophomores on this football team that we're going to be counting on uh, this season, and we need them to need them to grow up in, in a hurry. And then that leadership that we have on this team is going to be critical, also. And it's not just these spring games that are kicking off on Saturday. What else kicks off on Saturday? The opening of the second and final transfer portal window so I don't anticipate things are going to get too crazy that's what they were saying about the first transfer portal window and it didn't quite happen we'll see what this one looks like but Beamer was asked hey they've been very active in the portal under Shane Beamer there at South Carolina how active will they be in this upcoming transfer portal window everyone gets excited about new players and South Carolina's got their eyes on a few additions if they can get them during this second window here. Shane, the new transfer portal window, the next transfer portal window opens Saturday, I believe. Do you guys anticipate being active in the portal this offseason? And what are some positions maybe that you guys might target? Yeah, I think those are things that we're really trying to figure out right now, uh, Colin. I mean, and a lot of the things that we've done here in practice today with the scrimmage and what we'll do the rest of the week will be really trying to get an idea about who we have in the program and, and what kind of role they're going to be able to play for us this fall, and the answer to that question will be, will 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 be the answer to how active we are. But as you know, I've always 
told the team and, and have told anybody my job is to always do what's best for Carolina football. And anytime I have an opportunity to, to increase uh, competition on our roster and, and make our football team better, um, um, I'm going to, going to as well. But at the same time, I'm always cognizant of the, the culture we have here and making sure that any person that we do bring into our program, they fit what we're about as a football program as well on and off the field. And in position-wise, still trying to figure that out and determine that. Well, speaking of a program that has been very active in the transfer portal under their current coach, let's kick it on down to Arkansas. Sam Pittman just met with the media here on Tuesday evening. And some interesting stuff from Sam Pittman. A lot of turnover, obviously, on player front. I believe second or third most transfers have left via the portal. Now they've added a ton as well. So a transition of a roster, transition of coaching staff, two new coordinators, new defensive backs coach, a lot of transition there in Fayetteville. Sam Pittman sounds pretty fired up after 12 practices to see what they have in this new coaching staff. Let's kick it over to Sam Pittman. Hey, Sam, I'm sure we'll do this again on Saturday, but wanted to ask you um, in general, are things going according to plan? How would you say spring has gone through 12 workouts now? You know, I, I've really been pleased with my new coaches. Um, I think to a man, we've gotten better. Um, you know, we've got to get out of the, well, which, which we have, I think, Tom, and we need to keep everybody on the team. Everybody on the team is going to have some value to us. But everybody on the team has to get better. I, I think we have. I've liked our new schematics that we've done offensively, defensively. I think our new guys coming in have the players have accepted them well. And again, if you went back, Tom, and said, "Can we be at this point after uh, the end of our last regular season game?" <clears throat> I do think winning the bowl had something to do with a little bit of life back in the program, but I, I think the changes that we've made have been positive for us. And I, uh, I'm really pleased with what we've gotten done uh, in 12 practices. It's been a very physical 12 practices, but I'm really pleased with what we've gotten done. Now, again, Arkansas very active in the transfer portal, and it doesn't sound like they're done quite yet. No names mentioned here, but, we're going to run a lot more tight end personnel. And that was something that, uh, you know, they lost some tight ends this offseason. And some guys they were probably counting on to, to participate this fall. And with Dan Enos now running the show, he loves to use these tight ends. So look for Arkansas to be in the market for a tight end, according to Sam Pittman, if the right player hits that portal. Coach, I've got a question, and I've got one for Nate. Uh on mine, you just said Luke, but the tight end position as a whole, you don't have big numbers there, but how do you feel about that position, Coach? I think we're getting better there. Um, and then we'll have to see what comes available and things of that nature. Obviously, we have Shamar Easter coming in as well, but uh, I think we're getting better. I think Ty Washington is getting better. I think Max is getting better. Uh, obviously, we've talked about has. Um and and to be to be perfectly honest with you, Hunter Talley's getting better, and Lee and those guys. But um, it wouldn't be out of the realm that we would entertain to see because we're playing a lot of twelve, a lot of thirteen. Yeah. Um, you know, wouldn't be uh, off the realm to think if somebody came available that we might not be interested. I don't know. We'll have to talk it out as a staff. Now, something that I have questioned about Arkansas this off season: who's going to step up at this receiver? position once again totally reworked group they managed it incredibly well last offseason sounds like one guy in particular is off to a fast start heading into the upcoming season and that is Isaac Tesla from Hillsdale College this guy had 68 receptions 1325 receiving yards 13 touchdowns he was the great Midwest American Conference Offensive Player of the Year now he's an Arkansas Razorback, and he's apparently emerging as uh, one of the go-to receivers there for K.J. Jefferson in Fayetteville. Isaac Tesla, the last couple of practices, he's made some really impressive one-handed catches. Looks like K.J.'s even kind of maybe starting to look his way a little bit more. Do you feel like there's any 
I mean, somebody's going to be the go-to receiver out of these guys. Do you feel like maybe, and I know you got a couple guys that are banged up too, but is he kind of maybe starting to separate himself a little bit? He's catching a lot of wow balls, you know. Those are that 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 separates receivers right there is who can catch um contested passes and who can catch the one that's unbelievably hard to catch. Um he seemed to have been able to do that. I've been uh, pleased with Armstrong, like I talked about, and Satagna and Bryce and those guys as well. But um, maybe, you know, the one that I'm missing out there is Tyrone Broden. You know, I would I wish that we could get a better feel for him. Uh, I think he is coming along. He may be able to play Saturday, but um, yeah, Trey's really you. You've been to practice. He's he's been impressive. Thanks, coach. Now, one other thing that has kind of haunted me a little bit when trying to evaluate Arkansas, and it's, it's very easy to say the right things during the offseason, but clearly things were off last season in Arkansas, and that's why you have so many players enter the transfer portal. That's why you had players. There was one player, I think it was Miles Slusher. I mean, he was getting booted from the team and, and posted on Instagram, and, and not to necessarily call him out because he wasn't the only one, but Things like that indicate there's issues behind the scenes. Some other media members have reported, you know, the players don't like Sam Pittman. Not Arkansas media, but I think uh, specifically it was South Carolina. So maybe they were getting that from Trey Knox. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to make an assumption and say that's where that was coming from. But culture, clearly not as strong as it has been under Sam Pittman. Something he even alludes to here when asked about the culture of his team, according to Sam Pittman, it's as strong as two years ago when they won nine ball games there. And, you know, everyone thought the sky's the limit for what they can accomplish there in, in Fayetteville. You're talking Standing. about the culture yeah. and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Correct, yeah. Um, I think it's as good right now as it was uh, when we won nine games. I, I think our – Strength coach, our new coaches have a lot to do with that, but um, we've got a lot of good kids on our team that's working extremely hard. I, I, uh, it'd be hard to be more pleased. In other words, I guess, and 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 it will happen, I'm sure. But you know, we talk about the portal and who might go in, and kids go in for different reasons and all that kind of stuff. But I just don't feel like there'll be a mass exit or possibly any, you know, I feel pretty good about where we're at uh, there. And then, so again, you could say these things, it's got, it's got to be proven when you hit some adversity, you know, who stays with you, who doesn't, but it's going to be interesting. And, and this is not just Arkansas related. I'm not trying to call anyone out or Sam Pittman or anything, but it'll be interesting to see which teams suffer losses during this second transfer portal window, if any do. I, again, I don't anticipate it's going to be too crazy because how big of an impact are you going to make if you're leaving an SEC roster in the summer going into training camp somewhere else? I don't know. I question how big of an impact one can make in that situation, but we're going to find out. I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. But uh, I, I just don't anticipate this second transfer portal is going to be wild, even though all these coaches are talking about it. Now, jumping back to Oxford, Lane Kiffin had an interesting press conference here on Tuesday as well. Again, we played the comments there on uh, him, his trolling the reporter down there. Uh, one thing that I thought was very interesting, he was asked about staying in Mississippi. Did he ever think that he – that's kind of was the theme of that ESPN article, staying in Mississippi, being an old Miss coach, never in his wildest dreams. you got to remember Kiffin, NFL coach, Tennessee, Southern Cal, Alabama offensive coordinator. He's gone down to Boca and been a coach. I mean, being in Mississippi is unlike anything any of those other jobs have in common. So uh, Lane Kiffin, being a new man, being a, a different time, not even he saw himself – in this role, yet that doesn't mean he's not incredibly happy where he's at. And considering the transfer portal, how he's been able to construct these rosters, it's a unique way of doing it. He's doing it differently than most. He's assembling his roster more through the transfer portal than high school recruiting, and I think that's smart. I wouldn't recommend that for Alabama, Georgia, LSU, 
Texas, Texas A&M, some of the, the powers in college football when it comes to recruiting. But for a school like Ole Miss, no disrespect, you're just not going to ever recruit to that level annually on a consistent basis that's going to give you the roster to compete with those teams. So what does Lane do? He looks around the landscape. Who's productive in college? Let's get some of these guys. Let's not have a big dip after a 10-win season. And it certainly seems to be paying off for him. I mean, I guess I said it before, and that's just a reminder that um, probably was a better line at the time because we'd won 10 games. But saying that, you know, I needed I needed Oxford and Ole Miss much more than they needed me. Um, so I think people thought that was neat when I said it, but they might be saying, now well, we don't need you uh, after the bowl game. But um, I, like I said, there's not a day go by that I'm not appreciative for my opportunity here and the support here. And um, that article is just a reminder, you know, to be in a position where someone wants you and wants to keep you is, is really neat. It's going to be a kind of a weird question, but are you surprised that people seem so surprised that A, you're still here and that B, you're somewhat happy here? Yeah, I think I, whenever you do something, you know, you do an article, you know, I'm in day to day and you don't a lot of times analyze everything. And so when someone comes in and in coaching, we do things so fast and you don't have time to sit around it. You make career decisions and you just, an hour later, you're staying in your recruiting somebody or an in-home visit or something. So I probably really hadn't analyzed that as much as when he starts asking me, then you have to. Um, so, or I don't realize things like when he says, you know, this is 10 years from when you were fired. And did you think you'd be back here? I don't, you know, you don't go through those things as much as you would think. So I think that doing that and talking about it and um, what I mentioned in there, you know, we deal with in recruiting, this Mississippi thing that if you have not lived in Mississippi, especially Oxford, you have this picture of what it's like. And I think that works the other way sometimes because we get kids to visit and they think it's going to be like this or the parents do, especially because they've been told in recruiting and they're, they're blown away. So <clears throat> yes, I would not have, like I said, I would not have thought 10 years ago or even a few years ago that I would be the head coach in the state of Mississippi and that I would be choosing to stay. I mean, I, I'm very real in our interviews, as you know, versus a lot of what coaches say. And I would say that I would not have predicted that. No, I would not predict that you were not just here. When you came here, you made a decision to come here over at least another premier offer one. And now you've had some since you've been here and decided to stay. So it just shows that you can't predict the future. You have no idea what's going to happen and you know don't make a lot of comparisons be where your feet are and be happy where you're at and i mean it's interesting you said i just had a recruit 10 minutes ago with a mother and she's from fort lauderdale and i'm like isn't it a neat town she's like yeah she goes it's not boca and i go she goes it's not as good as boca i said no it's different you know and so I just think that's a different way of looking at things and appreciation for them. So, yeah, I would not have – it was a long-winded way of saying, no, I would not have predicted this. Now, there was a lot of talk in this press conference on uh, Quinshawn Junkins, their star running back. Hell, Lane Kiffin compares him to Reggie Bush, who he worked with at Southern Cal, and just the fact that they had to work overtime to keep him from leaving. And this goes back to the NIL comments he made at the top of the show – without reports of him jumping to Auburn, they probably don't get the money in to keep Judkins. Now, he doesn't exactly say that, but clearly that's what he's alluding to. And I thought it was very interesting, without saying too much here, I mean, he is indicating that Jackson Dart, much like we've been saying, has taken that year two jump, only one interception all of spring, because he's not looking over his shoulder in a quarterback competition. How could he not be when you bring in Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard? Maybe he is, but he's not playing like it. And I think that's critical. I think that's what Lane Kiffin's been searching for from Jackson Dart. So it's certainly the more I hear, the more I believe Jackson Dart's the man down there in Oxford. And Lane Kiffin more or less says it 
without saying it in so many words here. I think we're going to be talking with Quinchon here in a little bit. We know how good he was last year. What is the next step for him? Like, how, how does he get better? Well, you got to remember, he was just a true freshman. So um, that's really amazing what he was able to do. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think it's, you know, whatever. I think it even said, I read the article this morning, most in school history to set touchdowns and yardage period, let alone for a freshman and um, up there in best freshman years ever in the country is amazing to do. And now he can take the next step, which we see. I mean, we run different plays with him now than we did. You know, guys are freshmen. You're just trying to get them to line up and play. And um, now you have a chance to truly have a spring where now they know stuff and you can go to the next level. I always, you know, think of players we've coached before and I feel like Reggie Bush was that where like he had a good freshman year, but it was like, okay, now you could really do all this other stuff with him that you didn't want to do too much right away with a running back because then they're not improving on their base, normal running back stuff they need to do. So really excited about that. And, you know, just the pairing of him and Jackson and to see their development, even though they're a year difference, um, to really have a year under their belt here and now see what we're able to do with them and their development uh, is really exciting. The last one is just kind of, what do you kind of remember from, from that night and watching it and all that? And uh, how would you kind of describe the bond that you, that you have with him? Because he ultimately had a lot of big offers and ultimately, you know, committed to you. Yeah, I think you really have, when you say a lot of big offers, it's kind of like you had two rounds of recruiting. So you had the initial one where he had a lot of good offers then you had the last one. Um, I say last, hoping it's the last. <laughs> you had the last recruiting um, where he could have went again and had, I'm you know, assume every offer that he would want or anybody would want. So it says a lot that he came here, but it says a lot more that he stayed when, you know, for all of us, it's challenging. I mean, I'm the best one to speak about this, that grass isn't always greener. And we think something's better, so we take another job. and. Imagine being 19 years old and, you know, everyone tell you, well, you go here and the stadium's bigger or we're going to do this and we're going to have a better Heisman campaign. And, um, you know, there's, it's easy to point out the flaws. And when you get in something, it's easy to find the flaws of what you're in and think over there is better. So that's hard to figure out, at, you know, in your 40s. So I commend him a lot for staying um, because these things to go. And we are in a world of wanting attention and <clears throat> at that age, and that's the great attention you get. You go in the portal and everybody gets to, you know, get more attention and retweet your stuff. And so I, I'm really impressed by his maturity to handle this whole situation and to practice really well when everybody's telling you how great you are. <clears throat> that was already a challenge for anyone after a great freshman year, but now you have like, I had a great freshman year and everyone's telling me how great I am and telling me to leave. So um, he's done a wonderful job with that. Kind of going off Spencer's challenging spring health-wise, what are your expectations for him Saturday and I guess the rest of the quarterback room? Just to play really well. Um, don't force things, make really good decisions and whether you're a freshman or fifth year player, um, it's always a challenge to play really well and um, not try too hard. I think that Switching over to Jackson. Jackson's a very good example. He's thrown one interception all spring. He's not forcing things, you know, trying to win a job like he did a year ago, um, you know, on every every drive. And so he's performed much better because of that. And again, I believe with both of them, and I know everybody may not agree that competition brings out the best. I don't care how you're wired, where you're from, whether you were the Gatorade player or any of that. Watch the last dance and watch Michael Jordan talk. Competition is, is critical for people's development. All right, last team to update here real quick. Let's jump on down to Baton Rouge, where a couple weeks ago they lost their great defensive line coach, Jamar Kane to the NFL. I believe it was the Denver Broncos he left for. But it certainly sounds, according to what Brian Kelly had to say on Tuesday, that uh, they have basically got their targeted person lined up, wanted to wait till after spring. They've got two more weeks of spring football. He says, look, it's going to be about three weeks out. Do the math there. I mean, either they have their guy or they narrowed it down to one or two. Let's kick it over to Brian Kelly. 
Coach, the uh, pursuit of a defensive line coach, uh, is it the time of year a hindrance at all? Are you shocked by the number of people maybe you're hearing from interested? And what's the time frame overall, the, 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 the look for one? Yeah. Yeah, we wanted to get through the spring. You know, we feel like we're in a great situation uh, with Gerald Chapman, you know, on staff. Um, so there was no like rush. We've got to go find a defensive line coach. He'll be a candidate for the position as well. Um, but we'll, we'll begin that process once we finish up the spring, um, calendar for us. And then we're on the road so we can get on the road and get to, you know, candidates, um, and, and make it a whole lot easier. So, you know, expect something within the next, you know, three weeks or so. And, yeah, it's LSU. I mean, we, we've got, um, you know, a great list of candidates that, that have, have interest in. And one off-season addition that um, I don't want to say it flew under the radar necessarily, but uh, maybe not getting enough discussion here, LSU added one of the best Pac-12 linebackers last season, Omar Spates. I think they beat out Alabama for this guy. He was all Pac-12 team captain for an Oregon State team that won, I believe, 10 games last season. Not only adding him to the roster, but what does that do with that monster next to him, Harold Perkins? Maybe the best one-two linebacker combination in the SEC. Let's kick it over to Brian Kelly. Hey, Coach, how much has Omar Spates helped out um, with Harold Perkins with his transition? And is there any sort of worry that, you know, not using Harold as much as a pass rusher sort of takes away something from your defense? Who says we're not going to use him as a pass rusher? As much. As much? You know, I think think you're going to see him as active as he's been and and maybe just in a different fashion. Um, If you just line him off the edge, um, they're going to – I mean – Everybody's going to game plan for him. I think we put him in a better position at the linebacker position, and then we can move him around on third down. So I think he's going to be as active as any time uh, that we've had, Harold. Um, he just has other responsibilities now that, that he hadn't had before. Omar is just a great compliment, and Greg Penn. Greg's had a really good spring as well. So the three of those guys have really done a nice job. Um, Weeks has done a really good job. So, you know, we've really gone from – you know, a position where we were concerned to a position where we feel really strong and that Harold now really getting down the nuances of that linebacker position actually, actually gives us a lot more in the playbook that we can do with him from that position than just lining him up off the edge. And then last but not least, you know, this is not something that we've talked a ton about because I still believe it'll be Jaden Daniels at the end of the day leading the offense, but you got to remember how well Garrett Nussmeyer played at the tail end of the season against Georgia secondary and in the bowl game. What do Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer have to work on coming into the spring, competing for that starting role? Here's Brian Kelly's thoughts on that. Hey, Coach, I was curious. You kind of touched on Ricky Collins and what you're looking from him this spring. What about the other two quarterbacks, and Jaden and Garrett? What are the biggest things that you can see them improving on this, the rest of the practices? You know, both of them have an, uh, a, a list of things um, that they want to work on. You know, Jaden's been pushing the ball down the field, trying to w- really work on um, quick identification and one-on-one matchups down the field. Um, Garrett, Garrett is just, you know, discipline and progression reads. So each one of them has some things that um, uh, Joe Sloan has laid out for him and Mike Dembrock in terms of what they – want them to work on specifically and and that's kind of how we've scripted them as well and they've done a really good job of of working on those things so not necessarily tipping his hand one way or another but again this is i think one of the more interesting quarterback competitions because jane daniel was so successful yet maybe just maybe i'm not saying it but maybe the ceiling maybe a little bit higher with LSU as the offensive line. It was a train wreck week one, became a strength at the end of the season. They have these great receivers. Jane Daniels, you maybe don't get to utilize those receivers as much as you would with Garrett Nussmeyer. But then again, Jane Daniels leads the entire country in returning 
scramble yards from the quarterback position. So a very interesting choice here. Brian Kelly, Mike Denbrock have to make, and perhaps a decision that will determine just how good LSU is next season because, hey, Kim Mulkey just won a national championship down there. The LSU baseball team, number one in the country. I realize that's got nothing to do with football, but the expectation is to win championships, winning the West and, and getting blown out in the, in the SEC championship game. Fans won't be pissed if that happens, but they're not going to be exactly thrilled either. Brian Kelly came down here to win championships. These are the tough decisions he's going to have to make. Jane Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer this fall. But all right, hey, that's enough of me spieling here all by my lonesome here. Really great interview here with Chris Lee. Very kind with his time, providing some insights into the Vanderbilt Commodore program as they head into year three under Clark Lee. And it sounds like Chris, just like Clark, anticipates a bowl season coming for them Commodores. All right, we're pleased to be joined once again by Chris Lee. You know him from Vandy Sports website the go-to site for Vanderbilt sports information they got the YouTube channel and they're crushing it at the southeastern14.com he also runs that Chris uh, when I want to talk Vanderbilt football there's no one better than you to have on the show so I can't thank you enough for uh, joining me once again hey always a pleasure really appreciate you having me on yeah and of course Vanderbilt just wrapped up spring third year going for uh, coach Clark Lee Leaps and bounds better than uh, his debut season, certainly. But I wanted to, uh, before I kind of ask you about thoughts on what you saw from spring and everything like that, Chris, any surprise that right out the gate, day one, Clark Lee said, hey, the goal is to make the postseason because he, he seems like such a measured guy. He's not made any of these mm -hmm. bold proclamations that I've, uh, you know, really Hell, I remember when he got hired, what, didn't he say something like a 10-year rebuild? Now, day one spring, we're already talking the postseason. How big of a surprise was that for you? Mike, I think that's a really astute observation because I've been around him. I've been to, I don't know, just about every spring and fall practice he's had since he's been here. I've been to the, the week weekday media things. For the first two years, it was consistent. When people asked him anything related to goals and, and winning and losing, it was always basically, and these are my words and not his mic, it's let's let's be the best fan of what we can be. We're going to judge ourselves against ourselves. And, you know, if we think at the end of the day we, we gave it our best effort, then that's a victory. You said it. I mean, it was right out of the gate. And it wasn't just him saying it publicly. It was – talking to assistants, hearing it from players. It was bowl game. I'm like, wow, suddenly we got something quantifiable. Um, you know, you've got to win six to get to a bowl game, generally speaking. And I, I think that was a – I think that's telling. I think that's very telling about the hand they think they have. I think when the shift is just like that, from, from something not quantifiable to something that is, I think that tells you a lot about where they think their program is. So based on just what you saw in the spring, do you think that is an attainable goal for year three under Clark Lee? Yeah, well, Mike, they got some issues for sure, and we can get to some of those if you like. But, yeah, I mean, I've watched them, and I think they've got a lot of places where they haven't had necessarily SEC players where it looks a lot closer to SEC players. Now, look, it might be you know, closer to Missouri and South Carolina's SEC players than it is Georgia's and Alabama's, but that's a – big leap for them in a lot of places and particularly on the defensive line is one place I noticed it um, they've got a very competitive quarterback room AJ Swan's going to win that job but they got three guys behind him that I think that can play at, at various levels of you know of, of performance now Walter Taylor therefore that, that could be interesting if he had to play he's got a strong arm he's an athlete but he's also making some some bad throws but point is how many times if you looked at Vanderbilt and said, hey, I can see some things in the number four quarterback that, that might be playable down the line, uh, it, it feels like a little bit of a different day when I watch them in practice. And particularly, I have to imagine that's on the defensive side of the ball because that's that's what I've kind of picked up. Um, you know, the, the spring game, it's you can never read too much into those things, but certainly they look faster. They look more aggressive. They were getting to the quarterback. And this is kind of what I thought we were getting when we hired Clark Lee. And I understand – complete rebuild he had to do but the the defense was just atrocious 
the last two years yeah. in, in spots. Do you, are you seeing that they'll take a step forward on that side of the ball? Yeah, I'm worried about their secondary. I'm still not really convinced they can cover SEC-level receivers, but they're going to have something they've not had, and that's some guys that can get to the quarterback without having to, to send pressure from corner blitzes or safety blitzes or a linebacker up the middle. I feel like they've got some dudes up front now that might, if not get to the passer, get a little bit closer and get the ball out a little faster. That makes a world of difference when you're not having to cover for six seconds on the back end. So I, I don't know. Their, their secondary, maybe their talent isn't a lot better there. I, I think it'll be a little bit better just as freshmen become sophomores and, and those guys get on the field. I think you probably will see improvement by year's end. But even if you don't, I just think what they can do up front now, and again, is it a top half of the SEC defensive line? I'm not going to go there yet, but I think they've cut the gap quickly with the with the levels of size and athleticism, and I think that'll help make a difference. Now, you've already referenced uh, quarterback A.J. Swan. He was a true freshman last season, Chris, and I don't think they did him any favors because, uh, I mean, here's his first starts. At Bama, Ole Miss, which was undefeated at the top time. I, I think they were top ten at that time at Georgia, at Missouri, which Missouri, which obviously you know, you watch that game. I mean, they had a really, really good defense, probably the most underrated defense in the SEC. Uh, but I think the last time I had you on the show, Chris, you said this is a guy to know, you know, he's got a big-time arm. I, I think you compared him to a young Jay Cutler, maybe the most arm talent you've, you've seen at Vanderbilt since that time. Um, has he taken that next step? Because I'm – considering the schedule, considering he was a true freshman, mm -hmm. I thought he was outstanding last year. Well, you missed one game because the first start he got was Northern Illinois. And and this mm -hmm. is just from memory. I, I think they went up there. And, and this was when people thought Northern Illinois had a decent team. It didn't really turn out that way. I think I want to say he threw four touchdowns and no picks. And and so he got to, to got his feet wet in something other than a Georgia Alabama situation, which I think was, was smart. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that, look, at times they were just overmatched by other defensive lines, by secondaries, and, and there wasn't much chance for him to show. But I stand by what I said. I think that, you know, and look, if, if A.J. Swan had hit the portal, I think you'd have seen a lot of big-name teams come calling him. I, I do you, – you know me, Mike. I, I don't like to throw out comparisons recklessly or, or crazy, but I, I do see a lot of Cutler-like attributes in him. Now, is he going to end up being a guy that, that starts – 10, 12 years in, in the NFL. If, if I had to take the over-under on that, I, I would take the under. But point is, I, I do think he's a very talented kid, and I'll be interested in seeing how he does against a schedule uh, that, that's more conducive to winning than it was a year ago. Now, one guy that uh, really stood out to me in the spring game, Chris, was uh, the, the freshman running back, Cedric Alexander. Uh, was that a one-off, or is that something that uh, you know you saw and you're hearing buzz about in the spring that uh, he could be an instant impact player for the Commodores? One-off would probably be a little strong. I'd put it this way. I, I wasn't super impressed with their running back group, which was really thin coming into the fall. And, and two kids that they're going to count on are still in high school. Um, they don't have much in the way of returning players. It's Patrick Smith, who I thought regressed last year in, in a bad way and, and didn't look great this spring. Alexander had been coming on a little bit the last week, but I thought the spring game was probably his best showcase. So maybe you're looking at a guy that's on an upward trajectory and it takes a couple steps. That room as it stands right now is not really strong. I think you've got to have some reservations if you're putting true freshmen in. There's a lot more to do in the SEC other than just run the football. It's it's pass protect. It's it's catch the ball. It's a lot of things kids aren't asked to do in high school. So that's not really a place you want to be. Maybe if you're Georgia and Alabama and you're getting that kind of talent, you can handle it. Uh, so I think it's going to be a question for Vanderbilt in that offense. But certainly I think that what Cedric Alexander did in that game uh, was the continuation of, of what had been a pretty, well, let's say a much better last week. How big of a concern is the kicking game? Because, you know, let's just – safe assumption Vanderbilt's going to be in a lot of close games particularly in SEC play and you can't have a glaring hole at uh, kicker especially they missed several kicks including an extra point in that yeah. spring game uh, uh, Jofus, Joseph uh, Bovalis was I thought he was great the last couple of years he's obviously off the roster now how big of a concern is that for the Commodores 
Well, if you want to include the punting game in that, um, they've got one of the best in the country returning in Matt Hayball. I don't know that he looked terrific in the in the spring game. They were playing on a wet field uh, that was their lacrosse field, and I think the footing was a little treacherous, and I, I don't think you saw as much out of Matt as you will. Uh, the, the field goal part, funny thing is, Mike, for probably a month of fall camp, one of the one of the things we talked about as beat guys there was how good Will Ferris had been. I don't think I think he showed us some levels that we didn't know he had. Uh, I'm not saying he could kick a, a 50 yard field goal in a game, but I'm not sure he couldn't either. And then the last week it just started to go sideways, and you saw it in the spring game. He just wasn't very good. They've got Brock Taylor, a kid from Knoxville, who was one of the better regarded kickers in the country. I don't pay a lot of attention to recruiting kickers. Um, <laughs> you just don't know till they get. And look, and I'll give you an example. Right, Nick Saban, who is. And and Bobby Bowden before him, two guys that were at the top of their profession. Nick Saban doesn't ever leave a stone unturned. How many times has Alabama missed on a kicker? So if Alabama's going to miss on a kicker, I'm going to say it's safe to say that Vanderbilt could, but it might not either. So I just don't think we know till Brock Taylor gets to campus this fall. But yeah, that was one thing that that went sideways pretty quickly in the last week or two was their field goal kicking, and and you saw it on TV on Saturday night. What would you say, Chris, was the biggest question that you had about this this team, this roster that you think got resolved in spring? Um, I'll probably go defensive line. I, I just wasn't sure about health of some guys, Davion Davis, Devin Lee. I would say Isha Otara, the, the German kid. Like if, if you watched him, you probably couldn't miss him. He wears 98. He's about six foot seven, three bills plus, tremendously athletic. Uh, but he's literally from Germany, and he came to the States, and he's learning to play football. And, and if you watch his high school football film, you'll get a laugh because it looks like he's playing against me and you. And, and you think <laughs> I'm kidding, and then you watch it, and I'm really not. Um, but but he, like, he's a mega talent, right? But there's a long way to go between talented and being able to play in the SEC. It felt like some of the dots started to connect for him. Uh, I, I feel like they left the spring – with maybe eight or nine guys. I don't know if there's a superstar in there. Darren Agu would be another one that they moved from that, uh, what do they call it, the the star position to just true defensive end where he's going to be straight up in. But he showed some ability to get to pass rush that way. Again, I, I talked about the secondary and how that's going to make a difference. I just thought, to me, they got healthy on the defensive line and some young kids took a step up, and you put all that together. That's the group, to me, that I, I think – where I was with them and where I was coming out of practice might have been the biggest difference. So similar question, but what is maybe the biggest uh, a big question you had for the roster that exiting the spring you essentially got no clarity on? Do you think? Oh, I would say secondaries where I'm still having the questions. They they signed a class last year this time a year ago of I don't know they signed five or six guys that that probably could play corner. They're at, more athletic than what they've got generally. But, I mean, you see a lot of kids in it, I mean, first-round corners in the NFL that is, is freshmen are just awful. And, and so I, I was thinking some of these guys would come in a year ago because they weren't very good in the second. I thought somebody would seize a spot and, and, and play and take their lumps, but it'd be one of those, okay, this is a freshman becoming a sophomore situation, and he took his lumps in 2022. Well, that never happened. So I'm going to the spring going, well, you know, let, let's see if one of these freshmen jumps up and, and takes a job. Uh, I say freshmen, they'll be sophomores next year or registered freshmen. Well, that, that didn't really happen either. They ended the fall. Well, I, I take that back. Uh, Judeus Richard, who was a safety a year ago, is, is now a corner uh, and was a safety in high school. So they, they do have one of those young guys that took a job. But B.J. Anderson exited the spring as their other corner. He didn't play in the spring game because of – injury or load maintenance or however they're going to determine it. I just really wanted to see a, a Gumbo Gaskins or a Trudell Berry or somebody like that really take a big step up. I'm not saying those kids didn't make plays. It won't be a factor, but the the, the where the where they left and what I was maybe hoping to see for them uh, di didn't quite get there. You know, I have to ask you about Transfer Portal because that's all anybody wants to talk about. We're days away from the second portal mm -hmm. window coming open. Uh, I saw Vandy Sports, you put out a video, Clark Lee was asked about it and essentially said, well, we're at 85, so I, they may not even have the numbers to do such a thing, but let me ask you this, Chris, um, thoughts on Vanderbilt and how they approach the transfer portal? Uh, I believe they only brought in one guy, 
Um, is that something that they're, that they're just not going to utilize at all? Because I, it, it certainly seems like I, I heard the comments too. Clark Lee said, you know, we're not going to be a transactional program. Well, that's nice, yeah. but I mean, this is a transactional sport. So, I mean, can, can you even su- survive with that type of uh, philosophy? Man, that, that's a great question. I, I think you're asking maybe the most important question around the program um, because I, I think that they're going to try to build culture first. And that is sometimes it feels like it's swimming upstream, given the numbers being thrown around and, and the money these kids are getting. But you're also seeing some of these deals fall apart. I mean, you saw it at Florida last year with with the quarterback situation. Sometimes you see these teams that have allegedly bought, you know, paid a lot of money for these kids, and it doesn't always work out at the end. And I'm, I'm looking at College Station for that one. You know, I'm looking at a, at a Florida team where Florida came to town last year, a two-touchdown favorite. And I'm not saying Florida had chemistry issues or anything, but I looked at that one on paper, and I said, Florida ought to win this game today. It's it's. I thought it was a talent mismatch. Vanderbilt pulled an upset. The, the point I'm making here is I, I think if you build a program with, with chemistry and without distractions – I think there's more to that than people think. And again, you, you can start to name the places where you started to see that fall apart last year. I, I think Clark's onto something. Now, look, you do have to, it's, it's a Jimmy's and Joe's league, right? That's all nice to say. Uh, and you saw spots, Georgia and, and, and Alabama last year, where in a lot of cases they just couldn't hang talent wise, but you also saw building chemistry, building teams, building guys that have been there three or four years that they don't have problems. And you can see it when you're around that program. The, the, the chemistry vibes and everything are off the charts. And at Vanderbilt, you're never going to beat Georgia and Alabama, beat Georgia and Alabama. You've got to go about it another way. You saw him plug a hole in the portal in the Aeneas DeCosmo kid, who's probably going to start at them for that pass rush position. I think they'll look to add guys strategically Tight ends a place where they could use some depth and experience. We talked about maybe running back, perhaps kicker. Um, you could always use another body on the offensive and defensive line. I, I think they'll they'll take their swings in places, but it's going to be with kids who can do the work and won't cause a distraction. I've heard people say this a lot of times that you know somebody else's transfer was was their problem, and you got to be careful about inheriting those. And, and that's the bargain that he's tried to make with all this. And I think, frankly, last year was a little bit of evidence that he might be onto something. Well, and speaking of that, Chris, I mean, it, it certainly seems like under Clark Lee, Vanderbilt plays better at the end of the season than they are the beginning. And, and given the, I don't want, there's no such thing as an easy schedule in college football, but Commodore's early schedule is fairly, you could see some wins racked up, particularly that first month. Um, it, does that give you hope that uh, once again, that uh, if they finish even stronger than they start, that Vanderbilt will make the postseason as, as Clark Lee's outlined as a clear goal this year? Yeah, and excuse me as I, I look off the screen. I'm, I'm reading the schedule uh, just so I make sure I get this right. They, they open with Hawaii, which they beat, what, 63 to 10 or whatever that was a year ago. Uh, Timmy Chang is a year behind Clark Lee on building his program. That's one in Nashville you would think that they should win. Uh, week number two, Alabama A&M. Again, another game that, that feels like a built-in win. Week three, I think this is a big one. They go to Wake Forest, but Wake Forest lost Sam Hartman. I want to say, and I'd have to look at it, a lot of those kids, because Wake and Dave Clawson had just built that program on kids in that program for four, five, six years. I think a lot of their most experienced guys are gone. I'd have to look at that. That's one they I felt like they played Wake with Wake for about three quarters a year ago. Hartman was a difference. Feels like that's one they got a shot in at UNLV. Another one where you got a coaching change. It's on the road. It's not going to be in a super hostile environment. Although Vegas in in late September will be fiery hot, but but they're used to that. They're going to practice in that in August with some humidity that they don't have there here. Uh, so th- those are four games that all seem very winnable. Then they play Kentucky. Well, they beat Kentucky and Lexington a year ago. I, I would think that you would have to think they can be competitive in that one. Next up, Missouri. They went down to the final two minutes with Missouri. If they can make a first down on the other side of midfield, they might win that game. Didn't, but it was point is it was close enough. Next week at Florida, 
again, would, would seem like a little bit of a talent mismatch uh, but with most Florida teams, but they won that one a year ago. Uh, and I don't know that Florida is going to be predicted to win the East by anybody. So that's seven games off the bat where you feel like they've got a puncher's chance. No, they're going to go 7-0. No, they're not. But could they win five of those or maybe even six if it goes really well? Sure they could, based on what you saw a year ago. Now, then, it's it's Georgia, at Ole Miss, and some of those other games. It gets a little tougher. But I think the way the schedule sets up this year, um, I can't help but think that's some of the reason you heard the bull talk. All right, final question for you, Chris. Really appreciate all your time. But uh, I got to ask you, it's, this is like an annual Vanderbilt question. What's the latest on uh, the facility upgrades and everything like that? Because uh, certainly they, they didn't play the – the spring game at Vanderbilt Stadium, so I have to imagine that's somewhat progressing. Well, usually saying something looks like a war zone is is not a, a complimentary <laughs> thing, but I think for Vanderbilt it is. Um, <laughs> the reason they couldn't play, as you said, is because there's you know there's a lot of piles of bricks and drywall and stuff sitting behind their stadium. They're they're taking the first wrecking balls to things and knocking stuff down. Um, by the fall, I think they're going to have a big open hole in the closed end zone of the stadium, which will be really weird to watch. Um, also will mean less visiting fans in there probably too. Um, yeah, I mean, it's they're, they're going to be, I think it's 2025 before they're done. And, and I'm not going to say it's going to be A&M or Alabama or Georgia, but they're spending well over $300 million, probably closer to the $400 million and maybe over that by the time they're done with inflation. Uh, now some of that won't touch football, but most of it will. The open end zone is going to have one of the biggest and nicest basketball practice facilities in the country inside it for men and women. Going to be two decks of practice facilities. There's going to be some premium seating on the outside and some other stuff. That other end zone, they're going to have a football building like other schools have, like Mississippi State's got, uh, I think Missouri's got now. It's going to look a lot more like that. So the end zones are going to look a lot different. I think they're going to upgrade some of the seating, but don't don't quote me on that one. I could be wrong. Um, and across the street, I don't know if you've been to campus in a while, McGugan Center is where their athletic complex is. That's going to get torn apart and built up. And then behind McGugan is where their practice facilities are. They're going to build a new indoor facility, uh, the one they go to currently when they have a weather event. They got to drag a bunch of stuff, maybe you know, six or 700 yards. And that's, a, that's a pain mm-hmm. where they will build the new one. They'll have to drag it a few yards and it'll be right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll be right behind McGugan and, and their locker rooms there. So they're going to have a lot of the stuff they need. Again, it won't be the biggest and, and the best and the brightest, but it's going to be light years better than what they have. And I think it's going to be a pretty venue, but yeah, you started to see that the signs of progress in, in the, in the debris scattered all over the place. Um, and that's why they played their spring game at the cross stadium. Is it, just wasn't available to, to play on. Well, so it kind of mimics uh, the job Clark Lee's doing. It's slowly but surely yeah. getting better and better. But, uh, Chris, I can't thank you enough for your time. Before you go, can you tell the audience where's the best place to find all your work? Yeah, if, if you like the Vandy stuff, you can go to VandySports.com. We give a pretty comprehensive rundown of what's going on in football, baseball, and basketball. And then we're doing some SEC stuff, much like you. We're doing baseball, football, basketball pretty much year-round. Right now, if you're interested in baseball, I'm doing baseball content almost every day, and it's usually 10 to 15 minutes. So if, as an SEC fan, you just want to get a bird's-eye view of what's going on, um, I think we provide stuff nobody else is doing. So I'm a busy man between trying to follow the league and and a team, but it's been a lot of fun and a lot of hard work. And I I think if people like your stuff, there's there's a chance they'll like ours too. Absolutely. Thanks again, Chris. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Mike. Thank you. All right. So just want to say thanks again, Chris, for joining the show. Really appreciate the time he gave and the insight there. Go check out his work. He's killing it at Vandy Sports. And like he says, if you love this show and hell, you're here, you must go check out his other channel, Southeastern 14. They got a YouTube page. They're doing some of the similar stuff we're doing and they're absolutely killing it over there so go check out all the fine work they're doing when you're done with this show go check that out people helping people that's powerful stuff right there but hey that's all i got on this episode of the show like i said we got two more shows planned we got spring games galore this weekend i got more guests lined up i'm gonna try to do a i'm gonna try to do a youtube live for the first time 
to recap some of these spring games Saturday night, so be on the lookout for that. Don't for, don't drink too many beers and forget about that one. I'm sure I'll be pushing it on all our social media channels. But, hey, that's all I got on this episode of the show. I do appreciate each and every one of you for sticking through the offseason with us here. We're trying to make it as pleasant as possible considering we're in the the offseason here. We don't really believe in the offseason on this show. But uh, I can't thank thank each and every one of you enough for sticking it out. But look at me, I'm starting to ramble like Shane. So that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.